Here's what we're going to do right now. So why don't you guys open up your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew. Uh, We have been in a series at the beginning of summer that we started uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. It is a sermon, a message that Jesus teaches. It basically covers several different types of topics and ideas and concepts, ranging from how to have uh, happiness or joy with God or being blessed by God, all the way to having a marriage that's transformed how to live in unity and have love with other people. The bottom line is this. Sometimes people have even identified the Sermon on the Mount having to do with sort of a series of lectures or messages or a monologue from Jesus that has to do with kingdom living. Living in a life, living a life in a way that is connected to the kingdom of God. That's transformed by God's authority, God's rulership, God's lordship, if you will, over your life. So in other words, if you want to ask it like this, If you ask the question, what does it look like to live as if God were king over your life, is that it would look a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. That's basically the idea. So if you ever kind of wonder, like, what does it look like to actually live like Jesus is Lord over my life, Sermon on the Mount kind of answers that question. In fact, if you want even a better way, if you're kind of more of a visible person, you like pop-up books as opposed to ones that actually have words in them, right? Like me, I like books with a lot of pictures in them. Um, If you're like me and you want just the visual, just look at Jesus. Jesus lived that life. He lived that life. Jesus lived exactly everything that the Sermon on the Mount portrays, conveys, communicates, exhibits. That was Jesus. So one of the things that we're going to be taking a look at today in particular is this notion that Jesus is going to address with the idea of um, the concept of prayer. It's something that Jesus talks about a lot It actually gets brought up several times in the Sermon on the Mount. It's something that we're going to be taking a look at in particular today. He's going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about prayer. So what we're going to do right now is I'm going to, um, we're going to read through the little passage in Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7 down to about verse 11. And then I'm going to pray and then we'll get to work on the passage and let God begin to speak to us through the text. So if you would, grab your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. We do have Bibles in the back. Um, Matthew chapter 7, if you don't have one, and then I'm going to read, beginning at verse 7. Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if, he, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So I want to pray, and then we'll get to work in this passage. God, we just want to, first of all, thank you that we have this privilege of calling you our daddy, our father, Abba, Papa. God, the only reason why we can say that is because Jesus has redeemed us to say that. The only reason why we can say that is because we've been adopted into your family through Jesus and his calling upon our lives, forgiveness of our sins, saving us. So God, I ask you right now that you would help us just to see you for who you truly are, that you are a loving father that truly wants to have fellowship with your people. So God, I pray that you would help us to understand this in a larger context. Pray that you would change us through it, that today would not just be merely about us gaining information, but that rather, Lord, we would have revelation that would bring about change and transformation in our minds and in our understanding about who you are. So help us, we pray. Let your word transform us. Let your word change us. And so we devote ourselves to you right now, and we ask that you would make yourself big and and that we would stand in awe and an amazement of how great you are. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sermon on the Mount basically is sort of fixed in a context. And the next section, I want to kind of move on to the next slide. And I want to try to set a little bit of a context for you as to what's going on here. That Jesus basically through this sermon has been wanting to convey, as I already mentioned, what it looks like to be living as if God were your Lord. Or if God were king over your life. 
um, how it would look like, how it would translate in your life, how you would act towards other people, how you treat other people that maybe you disagree with or people that you don't have a lot of close type of personal ties or relationship with. The point I think that Jesus is trying to make is that the gospel changes you. It transforms the way that you think, transforms the way that you work, transforms the way that you do community. If you're the type of person that's always judging and always critical of other people, then the reality is, is you don't look a lot like God. You really don't. You don't look like God at all. That's not God. Because what Jesus is going to say sort of in the context of this, he just started because the Sermon on the Mount is one big flow. It's all interconnected. It's dovetailed with each other. Each section is not an independent. It's all connected. So the context of this that Jesus has already been conveying or talking about in chapter 7 verses 1 through 7 or 1 through 6, Jesus is talking about judging. In the context of this is he basically says you need to have discernment when you judge. In other words... Uh, that it's not okay to be judgmental, but you need to judge. Because he finishes the little section with that kind of famous statement. He says, don't cast your pearls before swine and before dogs. So, in essence, either Jesus is totally contradicting himself, because he just said, don't judge, and then he says, then you got to figure out who's a swine and who's a dog. So then you got to use some sort of judgment. Either Jesus is talking out of two sides of his mouth, or he's speaking real divine truth, and he has, there's another angle to look at. I think the other angle is this. That he's saying that I don't want you to be judgmental. I don't want you to be like the person that's going around criticizing, judging everybody, looking at everybody, what they're doing, all their flaws, all their faults, other areas that are all messed up, being ultra critical of them and ultra judgmental of them. Because the reality is at the end of the day, you are going around pointing out sawdust in everybody's eyes, but you have a log sticking out your own. So I think that's the point that Jesus is saying. You've got to be careful about this. Is don't live as a judgmental type of a person. Because it's just not a good way to live, right? You'll end up being judged with the same measure that you judge, so be careful. The flip side of it is he points out, but there, you need to have discernment. You need to know and to be able to distinguish between people that are really just wanting truth and wanting to be, have truth and information shared to them and other people that are like, I don't want to listen to truth. I don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. So Jesus says you, you need to know how to discern properly, but you need to not be judgmental. So the question naturally arises, how do you live like that? How do you do that? And the answer is, is in chapter 7, verse 7, where Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. God actually has answers. God actually wants to help you. God actually wants to give you wisdom. God wants to do this through personal relationship. That's how God wants to do this. And what you're going to find, that what Jesus is oftentimes doing is he's combating very flawed ideas and concepts about God that constantly keep making their way into the religious system. Okay, you, you got to catch this. This is what oftentimes Jesus is doing in his ministry. Because what you'll find in the Sermon on the Mount, and really all of Jesus' teachings, is that he never contradicts the Old Testament. Okay, you might think, and in fact, if you look at it this perspective, you're like, Jesus came and he started a new religion. No, he, he really didn't. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He didn't come to sign book deals. He didn't come to get popular. He didn't come to even really, uh, you know, hang out with a bunch of people. He came really to redeem what was already initiated at the beginning. In a lot of ways, rescue it from perversions. Okay? That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus never contradicts the Torah. Never. In fact, he redeems the Torah. And so what Jesus does is he basically is very critical with the false notions and false ideas that have arisen within the Judeo or within the Judaistic uh, system led by the religious leaders, scribes, Pharisees and so on. Jesus calls them hypocrites because they're conveying certain aspects of truth about God but they're misrepresenting God in the meantime. Have you ever been in a religious system like that? Right? Have you ever been in a religious system like that where you're just kind of like, ah, all right, everybody's like chanting, saying prayers, reading their Bibles, but something doesn't feel right, right? Everybody's critical. I mean, everybody's sitting around judging everybody else. They got little white doilies on their head, and they're talking bad about everybody who, home, who doesn't homeschool their kids. You're like, something's weird here. What's up with this? Possibly, you found yourself get into, gotten into one of those systems that has become ultra-critical, and in reality, in doing so, have strayed away from the heart and the mind of God. I'm not saying they're not necessarily a Christian. I'm just saying they have begun to follow this track, 
this trajectory that begins to misrepresent the heart of God. That's what Jesus is saying, is he's trying to rescue the truth of God from people that pervert the truth. Now, the reality is, is that, you know, even since Christianity began 2,000 years ago, people might think like, oh, now that Christianity is on the world, it's, it's just like pure, right? Wrong. It, it's, it's, it's not. Even Christianity has found that, because within, even, in, even within a system of institutionalization, the system itself can go bad. Leaders can stray. This is, the bottom line is, is whenever you have human people that are entrusted with divine truth, we are all prone to wander. So the question is, how do you keep yourself from wandering? The answer of Jesus is, one, the word of God. Go back to the Bible, which is what Jesus does all throughout his ministry. He's always going back to the Torah. And two, you go back to the Heavenly Father and pray. You seek him. You ask him for wisdom. It's about this relationship with God that's dug out, understood, revealed through God's word. Does that make sense? And that's what Jesus is always trying to do. He's trying to bring it back to God's word, ultimately trying to bring it back to God himself, who is the treasure of all treasures. That's where he's going with all this. So what Jesus wants for us to see is God wants for us to pray, wants for us to seek him. And the way that we sort of rule out kind of these false types of religion that arise in our heart, these false types of evil and wickedness and idolatries that arise, is we go back to the Bible, go back to God's word, and we go back to the Father. And once we find ourselves sitting at the feet of the Father, loving God, you know what happens? There's really not a lot of room for arrogance. There's really not a lot of room for pride. There's really not a lot of room for your little tribalism. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to be sitting there on the Father's lap and being like, God, Father, I know I'm sitting here by grace, but I'm actually better than them over there. Because you're humbled. I mean, you're humbled. You're moved by the fact that God, who is infinite and powerful and loving, has welcomed you in, and there's a humility about this, but there's also an ability to discern, which is what Jesus says. I don't want you to be judgmental, but I want you to be able to have discerned properly. And the way that you do that in the proper way, where you don't go the path of the religious Pharisees and hypocrites, but that you stay within loving relationship with God, is you come to your daddy. You come to your daddy who truly loves you. That's where he's going to go. So what we're going to basically begin to see today is all throughout this particular passage is Jesus is going to encourage his followers to pray. He's going to encourage his followers to pray. That's what this whole passage is all about. So I figured the best place for us to begin is kind of ask the question, what is prayer? What is prayer? Because the reality is I think a lot of us, when we think about prayer, we can come up with lots of different ideas of what prayer is, depending upon what type of background you had. You know, um, we can think about prayer as being sort of like a meditative state or a catatonic position where you sort of let your mind check out and you just maybe um, meditate on certain things or you repeat certain prayers. And we can think of prayer in all these types of ways, but in reality, again, um, a lot of times what we find, because we're all fallen people, we often need to have our understanding of what divine things are to be washed and sanitized by God's word, particular Jesus. And here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to give us a fresh uh, understanding about what prayer is. So if you're here today and you're like, prayer, ah, you mean that's that thing that you do and you sit around in a circle, everybody looks down on the ground and people pray and there's like these long gaps of like three minutes in between. There's always those awkward silences where everybody knows, doesn't know what to say. I tend to fall asleep, doze off. Is that prayer? Is that prayer? You know, where you just got to force yourself to go. You're like, dang it, I got to go to prayer again. Okay, if that's the idea of prayer, unfortunately, again, we've, we've taken something really good that God meant to be good, and we've perverted it. It's become degraded, all right? It's like taking a photograph and photocopying that on a black and white photocopier and then taking that photocopy of that photograph and photocopying it again and you've not only lost all color, you've lost all resolution. So what used to look like you and your wife on your wedding day now looks like a, a very horrible caricature or a cartoon of you and your wife with no resemblance whatsoever. That's the way prayer, that's the way the Bible, that's the way oftentimes religious relationship that, or relationship that God wants to have with us ends up becoming. Jesus wants to rescue it. He wants to redeem it. He wants to keep it fresh. So here's what he's going to do. Here's how I want to define prayer. There's a lot of ways you can define it. I just want to define it based upon the text that we're going to be taking a look at here today. So here's my definition. Prayer is like a child 
who is seeking after their loving father, finding him, resulting in their blessing. Okay, so check this out. So, so listen to this. This is just straight out of the passage. Prayer is like a child who is seeking after their daddy, who loves them desperately, passionately, just full of mercy and love, loves them. And daddy lets himself be found. And as soon as daddy lets himself be found by seeking child, gets down on his hands and knees and hugs them and loves them and blesses them, resulting in the child's blessing. That's what Jesus is like. That's exactly what he's going to say. So I want to ask you real quick, pause right there for a moment. In some ways, it's like as if Jesus goes to the very core of humanity itself, human need, human desire, human longing, and says, you know what prayer is like? Prayer is like God, who is an amazing daddy, who wants to be found by his children. And when he is, when he's sought, gives big hugs and kisses and love. Okay, if that's your idea of prayer, doesn't prayer sound amazing? I mean, I mean doesn't, it sound, doesn't that like cut to the very heart of deep, seated, deep-rooted passions and longing inside of all of us? I mean, there's a need inside of all of us that really wants to be needed, that wants to be loved, that wants to be cared for, wants somebody to just say, I love you. And here's where Jesus is addressing all of this. It's as if he's saying, God so loves you that he wants you to draw near to him and seek him, and he'll let you find him. And when he does, he will pour out great love and blessing upon you. So that, that's the idea that we're going to go with. So Jesus is going to kind of move on, and he's going to basically give us lots of encouragements to pray. So I want you to pause for a second and just consider something. Think about this. If God, as the Bible says, is infinitely strong, infinitely righteous, infinitely caring, wise, loving, if this type of God who always does everything good and righteous and kind and full of mercy, if he comes to us and says, come to me, think about that invitation that he throws out to you. In fact, it's almost like this. I, we usually on Saturday nights, a lot of times, part of our dinner time, we'll sit around the table, we'll talk about what I'm going to teach in the morning. Right? So last night we were talking, we had a little family devotion after we ate, and we were talking about this passage, and I says, doesn't this sound like a really good daddy, a good father who really wants the blessings of his children? And I says, listen, it's almost like God throws this huge banquet, right? I'm talking to my kids, I'm like, what are your favorite foods, all right? They have all these ideas of favorite foods and desserts in particular, all right? My kids have sugar in their DNA. And it's almost like God throws this massive banquet, puts this huge spread of all your favorite food and all your favorite dessert and all of your favorite people are around this table and God sends out an invitation and he signs it with his own hand, his own signature, and he sends it out to you and he says, I'm inviting you to come. I'm welcoming you to come. Can you imagine RSVPing God saying, I got to wash my hair tonight. I got schoolwork I got to do. Jesus actually even gives his own examples. He says, it's almost like some people will RSVP and say, I just bought a yoke of oxen. I got to go check it out. Some will say, I just got married. Some will say, I just bought a piece of property and I can't go. That's what it's like. That God, if we can just get this picture, this image in our understanding about how Jesus wants us to perceive prayer with God. That it's like this huge banquet that's thrown out before us. And God says, I really just want you to come because I want to bless you. I'm your daddy. Your good daddy. Your loving father. Come. Ask. Seek. Knock. I've got nothing but great, profound, weighty blessings that I want to just give to you. That's the way Jesus talks about this. this. That's the language that he uses. So here's some of the encouragements that Jesus begins to basically use. The first of which is in verses 7 to 8. And Jesus encourages us to pray really by inviting us. So notice the redundancy that Jesus uses. I mean, he basically says, ask, seek, knock. I mean, couldn't he have just said, you guys, come to God, hang out. Next story, all right? I mean, he could have. But he's very redundant in this. I mean, he's... Uses a lot of repetition. It's kind of funny to me because in 
me hearing this and reading this, I kind of re- am reminded of my dad, all right? My, I'll tell you more about my dad in a second. My dad's a great guy. But my dad is a, a lecturer. He's a professor. He's at UCI, and uh, he's, a, he's a pretty smart guy. I grew up, discipline for me was always a lecture, all right? It wasn't just like discipline, go to your room, and I want to talk to you again for another 20 minutes. It's, now, Brian, grab a piece of paper and a pen, all right? We're going to talk about this. I'm like, ah, all right, a lecture, and because there is all sorts of redundancy, repetition. So some of you guys kind of hear me preach sometimes, you're like, dang, Brian repeats himself a lot. Thank my dad for that, all right? My loving dad, all right? But the reality is this, is Jesus is very redundant, and he's so, I think for this reason, he wants us to catch the understanding, this idea that he's inviting us. He's inviting us to come pray, ask, seek, knock. It's an invitation from the Father to say, come, come, come seek God. The second thing, Jesus encourages us to pray by promising us reward in verses 7 to 8 again. Notice how many times. He actually does this seven times Jesus promises reward. Seven times. So check this out. He says, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be open to you. For everyone who knocks, everyone who seeks finds, everyone who asks receives, all who knock, doors are open. Verse uh, the seventh one, he says, how much more your Father who is in heaven will give to you good things to those who ask. Seven times Jesus promises reward. Now I want to say something about this because this can get a little bit sketchy here. For two reasons. This can be abused in the sense where we end up turning God into like our personal genie in the sky, right? Our little personal genie in the sky where we just call upon God and we kind of look at prayer as being like this kind of blank check where we just call out to God and we rub his little belly and he just gives us whatever we want, right? Uh, we do enough, we pray enough, we think enough, we, you know, we, work, we work hard enough and God will certainly give us exactly what we want. And we think prayer is kind of like that. And the perversions of that kind of goes into this area of kind of what's typically been known as like the, uh, the health and wealth, gospel, doctrine type idea that, you know, you ask God anything, you have enough faith, you exercise enough uh, trust and love for God, God will certainly give you what you want. But the reality of it is it's a perversion. It's a perversion. It's taking something very good that leads towards blessing, but it also perverts it. It's almost kind of offering promises from God that God didn't even promise to his own son. I mean, think about the absurdity of this. It's like, if you have enough faith, you can actually live a life that looks nothing like Jesus. You don't have to die. Jesus died. You don't have to suffer, even though Jesus suffered. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. You don't have to be homeless, even though Jesus was homeless. All right? It, it's, it's, it's taking something and perverting it or stretching it or turning it into something that it's not necessarily meant to be. So you've got to be careful about that. I don't think what Jesus is saying is that this is a blank check and God will just give you everything you want. The other thing I think is important to understand is I find it interesting that God actually uses sort of this motivation of reward. I find this really interesting because sometimes we think of praying or we think of a relationship with God as being we can't have anything else in our life. I and mean, we just got to, I went through a season. When I first became a Christian, I was like 17, 18 years old. I grew up in Huntington Beach. I surfed all the time. Four times a week, every morning I was out surfing. And in the morning, it's just the way I lived every morning. It was awesome. During my lunch break, I went to a school called Ocean View High School down in Huntington Beach. On my break, I'd always go straight down Golden West Highway, Golden West Street, all the way to the beach. And just kick there at the beach all the time, just watch the waves. It was what I did all the time. And when I was about 18 years old, I went through this phase of thinking surfing is bad. It's, I shouldn't do it. It's unspiritual. And if I surf, it, that, that I'm somehow like corrupting my walk with God so I can't surf. And surfing cannot be a reward, a blessing for me. That I've just got to like read my Bible and like just grit my teeth and pray. And the reality is, I've come, you know, to the point obviously in my life now where I'm just like, that was weird thinking. And, and the bottom line is that God really wants to bless us. He really wants to bless us. Sometimes he blesses us with really good waves. And I think that's a blessing from God. All right? Amen? We got big swell right now. I think it's from Jesus. He's a very, very good God. But the point that I'm trying to make is this, is that we can sometimes think about God giving blessing as an incentive and think, that's weird. Here's why I think it's not weird. Because here's what God's saying. And really what God's not saying. God is not saying that 
well, let me put it this way. Everything in our life is oftentimes driven by this incentive of reward. The Bible basically says because our hearts are wicked, because our hearts are broken, meaning sinful, we naturally turn to false gods, and we put our hope and our trust in these false gods that somehow they will deliver. Okay, you got to follow me, follow with me on this train of thought. We live in a world that has all sorts of false gods. The Bible calls it idolatry. Now, you might live, you know, we live in a culture where we just fiercely uh, fight against this notion of being idolaters. But the Bible is clear, we are all idolaters at heart. In other words, we are naturally prone to take good things and transform them into ultimate things. Here's what I mean. We will take things and we will devote ourselves to these things, our time, our energy, our money. Now, we don't call them idols. We just call them our second house. We call them a third car. We call them our jet. We call them our boat. We call them our 62-inch plasma screen. We call it our entertainment room. You guys get where I'm going with this? Nobody likes what I'm talking about right now, do you? I'm going to keep going because I love you. But what I want you to see is this. Is this is how we're wired. We're wired this way. But at the end of the day, you got to understand something. The reason why we pursue these things is because we hope that they will deliver. Right? But do they? Do they deliver? Do they deliver joy? They don't ever really ever deliver joy. Maybe for a very small window of time, a very short season they'll deliver. But the reality is, is those things that we devote our time, devote our energies, devote our strengths to, will end up rusting, will end up breaking down, will end up being destroyed, can be stolen. And out of all of that crisis, I want you to hear the voice of Jesus that says, listen, your heavenly father is not like those idols. Your father does deliver. That's what I think Jesus is saying. There's an Old Testament passage in the Psalms that basically goes like this. It says that the idols that we make, that we live, that we forge in our own hearts and our own minds, even within and on our own, uh, over our, our, our fireplaces, they've got eyes, but they don't see. They've got ears, but when you pray to them, they don't hear you. And I want you to hear that as the backdrop to Jesus saying, your father, your father hears you. Your father sees you. Your father knows what you have need of, and he'll help you. Your father will deliver. He's not like an idol. He's not like a false god. Your father, your father, your daddy is inviting you to come. You catch that? That's what I think is happening here. That's why I think Jesus, why he uses his promise of reward. You know, sometimes people wonder, like, how do I know if I'm worshiping an idol? One of the best, most surest way. Basically, idols are things that we trust in. They're like our functional saviors. In other words, we turn to them to save us. And so if you're wondering, how do I know if I'm worshiping a false god or I have a functional savior? Here's the question. When you are at your most deepest, darkest hours, the most difficult times in your life, in your experience, where you need the most wisdom, where you need the most comfort, where you need the most help, where you need the most just the sense of love and forgiveness, and you're dealing with the stuff of life, where do you turn? Those things that you turn to are your functional saviors. Do you understand? Those things that you immediately, without any forethought, you just immediately turn to. I mean, you just maybe flip on the television. Functional savior. You turn to your goods. Functional savior. What I'm trying to say is this. Is Jesus' point is God wants to be your savior. God wants to be your daddy. Who when you're hurting, when you're troubled, when you're sorrowful, when you're needing forgiveness, when you feel filthy and feel defiled, your father, your father, your daddy wants to help you. He actually has what's there, what's good to deliver you, to help you, to strengthen you. Again, to make the very clear message straight. This is not a blank check that God promises uh, freedom from everything. It's not. Because like Jesus, God never delivered Jesus from death, but he delivered him through death. He promised to be with Jesus through the fire. 
okay? Jesus was betrayed. God didn't take that away from him, but God was with Jesus through that. That's what we need to hear. That's what God promises to us. He says, listen, I will not necessarily take you out of your trials, but I will promise to be with you through your trials. I will deliver. That's his whole point. I've got the goods. The first night that we started praying on Sunday night, I always go back to this. I love this. Someone prayed. They're like, God, you love to show off. And, and I love that because immediately in my mind I'm thinking, that's exactly what God loves to do. He loves to show off. So some of us might think, well, wait a minute, isn't it, isn't it wrong to show off? Yes, if it's you. Because you don't got the goods. You don't got the goods. So you show off, you're just being prideful and boasting. It's, maybe it's a way for you to kind of get past your little bits of insecurities. But God is not insecure. God's got the goods. He has everything to deliver. So when God shows off, it's always glorious, it's always good, and always really leads in response to it to fullness of life. That's the idea when it says that as surely as the earth is full of the water, full of water, so will the earth be full of the glory of the Lord. This idea that God is glorious, he loves to show off, he loves to show his children how strong, how great, how mighty he is to deliver. That's the idea there. The third thing that I see is this, um, that Jesus wants to encourage us to pray, not only by inviting us, not only by promising to us reward, but thirdly, what I see here is uh, in spite of what we perceive God is. So here's, here's what I mean by this. I think this is a little bit implicit as opposed to just being ex, uh, explicit in the text. Here's what I mean. Jesus is going to say, ask, seek, and knock. Why does he use three metaphors? Why can't he just say one? Ask. I think each of these three metaphors kind of describe various maybe places or phases or stages where we come, sometimes maybe perceive God. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Some of us, we go through our lives with God and we kind of feel that God's very, very distant, right? We don't feel close to God at all. We feel like God's way away from us. We don't know how to get to God. We feel as if there's this huge gap. For some of you, the reason why there's a, there's a gap because if you never trusted Jesus, so my encouragement for you to fill that gap is not for you to do more, pray more, think more, read your Bible more, go to church more. In fact, my encouragement to you is to stop doing all that and just look to Jesus. That would be my strong encouragement to you. But the reality is, is that what happens is we perceive sometimes, even as Christians, even as people who are children of God, we perceive that God's far from us. And so sometimes we feel as if God's locked behind this big door. It's thick. It's made out of like brass. No matter how hard we knock or whack on the door, we just don't think God's hearing us. Sometimes we feel as if God's maybe really near. And so like being really near, all we got to do is just walk up to him and ask, hey dad, how you doing? Can you help me? Glad to help you. Sometimes we knock on the door and we're like, where is he? Is he gone? How come he's not listening to me? How come he's far from me? We use phrases like that. We use metaphors like that to describe sort of different experiences or perceptions that we feel about the presence of God. So here's what I think Jesus is saying. Is he's saying, listen, no matter where you feel as if God is at or where God can be found, still come. Whether you feel like he's near whether you feel like he's locked behind a brass door, just come. He's a good father. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Each of the words that are used, seek, knock, ask, each one of those are sort of in this constant, keep doing it. It implies don't stop until finally you get an answer. Don't stop until somebody answers the door. Don't stop until you actually find what you're looking for. That's the picture or the perception I think Jesus is trying to say is don't let your perception of where you feel God is be a hindrance to you. Instead, if you feel like he's close, just ask. If you feel like he's kind of running from you, seek him. If you feel like he's hidden behind a door, just keep knocking. Keep knocking. He's there. Okay, take a look at the next one. Fifth one. Sorry, the fourth one is this. Jesus encourages us to pray not only by inviting us, promising reward, um, by encouraging us to pray even in spite of how we perceive where God is. The fourth thing I notice is this, Jesus encourages us to pray by telling us all about really this universal acceptance of our Heavenly Father. Now here's what I mean by this, is uh, this involves some explaining, because I think really what Jesus is trying to communicate, especially in verse 8, he says this, everyone who asks, receives. He emphasizes, I think, that word everyone, everyone who asks, receives. 
So the distinction I think that needs to be made is sort of in the form of a question, who actually belongs to the Father? Who belongs to the Father? It's an important question. So why don't you guys open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 1, and uh, the verse that I want you to look at is in verse 12. John chapter 1, verse 12, what we're basically asking the question is, who actually belongs to the Father? To whom does this, quote unquote, everyone apply to? Because once we find out who the everyone applies to, then we can kind of dig in a little bit deeper and try to understand what that means, how all who ask, receive. Jesus puts it like this in John chapter 1, verse 12. All who receive, or uh, as he's talking about Jesus, all who receive him, I think that's Jesus, and believe in his name, again, Jesus, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. So here's the point I think John is trying to convey, is that what you have is this picture of God the Father, God who's holy, God who is in heaven, who sends his son, who sends his son into this world. Jesus comes into this world, he's on a mission. Okay, Jesus comes being sent from the Father. It's very, very explicit in the text. Jesus comes as being sent from the Father. He's not just kind of meandering within this world, right? He's not just cruising around, being like, hmm, what am I doing here? Lake Galilee, kind of a cool place, go fishing. Jesus is on a mission, right? And it's very explicit, especially to everybody else around him. Jesus is hanging out with prostitutes, tax collectors, people that are oftentimes viewed as lowlifes of the culture and the society. And basically Jesus is approached and they ask him, why are you hanging out with these losers? And Jesus' response is because I'm on a mission. My mission is to seek and save those who are lost, those who are hurting. That's why I've been sent. I've been sent to the people that are broken, the people that are down and out. I'm on a mission from my Father to seek and save people, to bring them into relationship. Now, there are a handful of people that heard the message of Christ and responded to the message of Jesus. They trusted him. Some of these people were um, of the position where they were a bunch of evil people. They were wicked. They were prostitutes. They slept around. They were people that actually stole money from other Jews and other Israeli people. They were tax collectors. They were people that were part of what was called a group called the Zealots. These were the guys that really liked to fight. They were always argumentative. And they hated the uh, Roman government. So Jesus saved a large number of people that were part of this segment of people called the uh, unrighteous. But just like the prodigal son parable, the story, those represent the people that were like the son who wandered away, was living in a pigsty, and then finally repents, comes back to God, and trusts the father. But Jesus also saves religious people. Right? That means some people who have come to know Jesus were people that were from a background where they felt the weight of their own defilement of their own sin. And they cried out to Jesus. Jesus forgave them of their sin. And Jesus says, I want to introduce you to my father. My father. In fact, by the way, you're also my children. You, you belong to my father. And in a sense, makes you my, you know, siblings. We are children of daddy. As well as to some of the religious people. Some of the religious people, like a guy like, Nic- like the name Nicodemus, he came, met Jesus, very religious, very pompous, very judgmental of everybody. He was that part of that group that I told you about earlier that always liked to criticize everybody. He had really big planks of wood sticking out of his eyes, and he was always very gifted at looking at everybody else's eye and noticing that they had a little piece of sawdust in theirs. And even guys like Nicodemus, upon hearing the message of Jesus, repented. For, uh, confessed their sin, came to Jesus, trusted in Jesus, just like John said, they received him, they believed on his name, and Jesus gave them, both religious as well as sinner, the right to become God's children. I want you to hear this. If you know God, because of what Jesus did for you, all of you have the same access to daddy. I want you to hear this. Because sometimes, We have this really bad theology that ends up sort of creeping into the church periodically. That goes something like this. You know, if you pray a lot, then God hears you. If you sin a lot, God hates you. All right? If you go to church a lot, God really listens to you. If you don't go to church a lot because you're always skipping out, going surfing, and you're messing around, and you immediately, sometimes you periodically have slips, you go get drunk, and you mess up, you sleep with your girlfriend, things are bad, that God hates you, he doesn't want to have anything to do with you, so just stay away. But in reality, what Jesus is trying to say is that even though God does not want to condone, and does not condone our sin because he doesn't like our sin, the reason why God does not like our sin is because our sin does not reflect God's nature. 
And anything that doesn't reflect the nature of God ends up in leaving us broken, destroyed. And with a bunch of promises that end up leaving us brokenhearted. So the Father, out of good love for us, says, everyone, everyone who comes to me, everyone who comes, everyone who prays, I will receive. Everyone who asks, I will receive them. He goes on. Last thing I want you to see is this. Jesus encourages us to pray by reminding us of how good our Heavenly Father is. Take a look at verse 11. It says this, If you who are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask? So Jesus um, is one of those guys that's pretty blunt. All right? I mean, if you ever had like friends like that, you know, you talk to, and they're just, they're just they speak straight up, right? They don't, they don't speak in like cryptic language. I mean, they, they don't beat around the bush. They just walk up to you. They're like, they're like Kramer on Seinfeld, right? They just say things that you're just like, really? Right? I mean, Jesus was this type of, I'm not saying Jesus was like Kramer. I'm saying that Jesus is this guy that liked to just say it like it is, right? So Jesus comes up and he's just like, hey, what's up? You guys are all evil, right? But for the sake of analogy, you who are evil, you who are evil know how to give good gifts, right? How much more will your daddy, who's in heaven, know how to give good gifts? That's his point. So his, his whole hook in this text is to say, listen, the reality is that mankind's filled with people that are broken, evil. We've sinned against God. We're broken. But even, even in our brokenness, even in our evil, even the most wicked, evil dad on this planet knows how or works towards some sort of desire or baseline in his heart that says, I really want what's best for my kid. I want to bless my kid. My kid's hurting. I want to help him. I'm going to do what I can to help him. If somebody comes up and starts beating my kid, I'm going to take him out. Because I love my kid. I want what's best for my kid. And Jesus' point is that your father, your dad in heaven, really wants what's best for you. And he goes on, he gives us a little illustration. He says, you know, your, your father, even though they're evil, kid comes, you know, kid comes up and says, Daddy, can I have some bread? Dad's not going to play a trick and I'm be like, ha ha, here's a stone. Bite into that, you know? Or the kid's like, Daddy, can I have a fish? He's like, ha ha, here's an eel. Take a bite out of that, right? By the way, eels and snakes were um, unclean animals. So I think the uh, insinuation here is Jesus is, not, is saying that your daddy will never give you anything that will make you unclean. So here's the point. Some, some of you pray. You're like, I pray all the time. I ask God, and he does not answer Chances are he is answering, he's just not answering the way that you want. Chances are he's just not giving you what you want. Because he's a good father. I love my kids. I got two daughters. I love my daughters. There's pretty much not anything I wouldn't do for them. I love my daughters. My favorite times throughout the week is just family time. Ask my wife. The greatest thing I love to do is just sit on the couch or go for a walk and hang out with my kids. The we, yesterday morning, we went garage sailing as a family. We ate donuts. We drank coffee. I bought a really weird trucker hat. It was awesome. As a family. For, actually, I got it for free. The guy who owns Decades downtown. I used to know him. He gave me a hat. It was awesome. So go buy stuff at Decades. So the point that I'm making is this. I love hanging out with my family. But if my kids were like, Daddy, can I have a rattlesnake? It makes noise. I don't care if it makes noise. You can't have a rattlesnake. That will kill you. I love my kids. I don't want to give them things that are going to bring their harm. Jesus says, if your daddy, if your earthly dad knows how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly daddy know how to give you good things? The point that Jesus is saying is, I want you to see how good your heavenly father is. I want to say something in finishing here. Some of us have this tendency where we maybe didn't have a good relationship with our dad. Um, and we have this mentality in our minds where we're just like, we struggle. I remember talking to a guy years ago, and uh, we were sitting downtown at a restaurant, and I was, he was sitting across the table from me, and I remember just looking at him, he was just, you can see the pain in his eyes. And, and he just goes, you know, the bottom line is, is I have a, such a hard time understanding God. I just, and I'm like, why? 
He's like, because my dad was so messed up, so abused me, so just, just treated me so horribly, nothing I could ever do, please my dad. My daddy was always putting me down. Was, he was not a good dad to me. And I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question here. He says, how do you like Jesus? You like Jesus? He's like, I love Jesus. There's just something about Jesus that's amazing. I says, says, yeah, you look at Jesus, and Jesus is a pretty amazing guy, right? And the guy's like, yeah, I Jesus, I can totally dig. I like Jesus. He's nice. He's friendly. He seems to have this way with people that are hurting, kind of like me. And it says, somebody came up to Jesus one day and asked him, Jesus, would you show us the Father? And Jesus' words to this guy it was this. He says, if you have seen me, you've seen Daddy. And he says, everything you see in Jesus is exactly, not just a replica, not even a reflection but the essence of the Father. We reflect God. See, sometimes people are like, the church is all messed up. The reason why it's messed up sometimes is because rather than reflecting God, we're like broken mirrors that get broken periodically, right? We're, we are really fragile. So rather than reflecting God, you know what we do? We refract God. So people are like, ah, God's all messed up. Actually, what you're doing is you're looking at a refraction of God through the church Go to God. Just look at God. Look at his word. Look at Jesus. If you really want a good picture of what God's like, look to Jesus. So I said, if, if you really want a, the, the crystal clear picture of what God's like, just look at Jesus. He's really good. God is really good. And the invitation of God is to come, to sit at my feet, to join me. And the way this changes us, guys, the way this changes us, is it helps us to understand where God wants us to be in relationship to him. Here's what I mean. The American church is kind of a strange thing, to be really frank with you. It, it trips me out sometimes. Because here's what happens. I think people tend to look at church. I, I can break it down in at least two, two areas. Probably more, but two for the sake of argument right now. There's two, at least two types of people that come to church. One, there's consumers. Consumers are the people that come to church... They judge the sermon. They look at the pastor's hairdo. They're like, this place stinks. And they're out of here. They're consumers. They consume. All, they're the ones that say, I want pastor to feed me. That's all that I want. I just want to be told what to do so I can go do it. And I just, I just want to be fed. So they're critical of the teacher. They compare him to the past teachers. They judge everything else. They're consumers. They want to criticize because really at the end of the day, they just want to eat. And then there are Christians. And what I mean by that are Christians are people that actually follow Jesus. Where's Jesus going? Jesus is on mission. Where's he on mission? He's going to seek and save the lost. So the Christians, they come to church, and here's what they say. They say, I want to be fed. I want to hear God's word because I want to know God's mind. I want to know God's heart. I want to be transformed by God's life because I want to go back into the world on mission with Jesus and serve him. Because I want to join with God's children who love him and sing songs to God because I love God and I love his people. Those are Christians. Christians come to church. They want to be fed. They want good meals, not as an end of itself, but because they really want to be on mission with Jesus, because they really want to love God's people. Consumers, I already told you what they want. The point that I'm making is this. Is Jesus summarizes all this by saying, listen, your father really loves you. He wants you to come to him. So let's come to him. Let's come to God. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish up here. We're going to wrap it up by just simply saying this. This is really why we love Jesus. Because at the end of the day, the Father, the Father sent his son Jesus on mission to save us. To bring us to the Father. To reveal to us who God is. That's why Jesus can say, look to me, look at me. I am the essence of God. I reflect, I am perfectly the image of God. You want to know what God's like? Just look at me. I satisfy. I fulfill. I make good on my promises. I'm not like an idol. That's the God that's here today. That's the God that I know, honestly, all of you really want. Some of you have been sold false gods. Some of you. Some of you don't trust in God because the God that you have trusted in for some period of time is not the God of the Bible. It's a made-up God. It's a false image. It's a false God that really looks nothing like the true God. And you tried that God, and that God's let you down because it's an idol. It has eyes. It doesn't see. It has ears. 
no matter how much you pray to it, it just will not, cannot have the ability to hear you. But your daddy hears you. He hears you. I want you to think about that. That's, that's the picture, that prayer, a prayer that Jesus makes. It's like a son or a daughter who's seeking after daddy, who allows himself to be found with the end of blessing that child with himself. That's the God I want you to see today. He's so good, so kind, so gracious, so loving that he is able to take evil people that have disobeyed God and offer us in exchange for our sin, sonship, daughtership. It's such an amazing deal. Because we've got nothing to offer God except our sin, except God takes our sin, has placed it upon his son, and in exchange, says, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter. Come sit up on daddy's lap. I love you. I want to help you. I want to be your savior. Don't turn to false gods. Don't turn to idols that will just only let you down. Turn to daddy. That's the God that we have. Some of you I worry about. Some of you hear this message so many times. And yet you still turn back to these little idols, these little gods that don't satisfy. You don't change. You don't transform. You just become conformed to the image of these things. God has so much more for you guys. He does. It's through his son. At his feet. He's a good God. Don't harden your heart. Don't become critical. The way that you change that is you go back to God's word. You go back to the throne of God. You sit at his feet through Jesus, this amazing Savior. He's a good God. I'm going to pray. We're going to respond. We're going to give our tithes and our offerings. If you're one of our guests here, please don't feel any obligation to give. If you want to give, it's between you and Jesus. We're going to give joyfully. We're going to sing some songs of worship to God. And uh, I'm going to invite you to come on out tonight to pray with us as we just sit at God's feet. We're not going to no sermon. Just sit at Jesus' feet and pray. It's really an invitation to come back and just, just hang out with Father, hang out with our dad. Let's pray. Let's worship. Let's respond. Jesus, thank you for the cross. I'm an amazing Father, amazing God. We confess that so oftentimes we have misjudged you, we've misunderstood you, we've allowed our minds to be defined by false teachers, false things, false concepts, and sometimes even by our own false perceptions. And at the end of the day, all we have is speculation and no true revelation. We're deceived. But we thank you that Jesus came as a light to lead us back to the word and ultimately lead us back to the Father. We worship you now.